so bored. I wish I had something to do. <sighs> Thanks for letting me sleep in, kids. If you make a mess in the kitchen, please let me know so I can clean it up. Raising kids is so easy. I just love driving around all day. Oh, I never have to repeat myself. They always listen so carefully. Oh, look. An empty box of cereal. Love it. Just wipe it on your sleeve. It's pretty cold, but you don't need a coat. Oh, you don't have to push in your chair. Don't make your bed, you're just gonna sleep in it again later. I think I'll skip the coffee today. You know, these throw pillows look way better on the floor. I'm really not that busy. Well, you haven't showered in three days, but I think you smell great. We do have food at home, but let's just go out to eat. Just brush your teeth whenever you feel like it. Here, take my phone charger and go put it in your room. Oh, just leave your dirty dishes on the counter. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's all pull on our phones. Youth sports are so cheap. Braces are so cheap. School fees are so cheap. Hey, can you come crawl in bed with me around 2 a.m.? Thanks. Okay, I just spent two hours making dinner, but if you don't like it, that's fine. Just let me know and I'll make you something else. Don't even bother looking for that. I'm sure it's lost and gone forever. Can somebody please throw something at my head? I mean, I can keep track of every single one of your things. I get a ton of sleep. I get a ton of gratitude from my children. I get a ton of unsolicited help with the housework. Oh, you don't have to hurry up. We're going to be right on time. Can someone please throw something at the TV? Thanks for doing the laundry, everyone. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Can you use your outside voice? Ah! Fight, fight, fight! The floor of this vehicle is so clean, I can't believe it. Oh, good. Another trip to the grocery store today. Let's go. Does somebody want to come use the bathroom while I'm in here? Well, alrighty. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. Um, I think when it comes to Mother's Day and Father's Day, you know, for a lot of people, it's a, it's a big celebration, you know. But, you know, for some, it's not. I think that's one of those things that, um, I don't know how you're hearing that, but it's the truth. I mean, for some, it's a very difficult day um, because maybe, and I know this is hard, but maybe at some point in time in their life, you know, as, as children, they bury their mother uh, without her knowing Christ. I mean, that, that's, that happens. That's real life stuff. And I was thinking this last week, I'm like, you know, it's great to have humor, and um, I love to laugh just like anybody else. Um, but I think it's really important for us to consider the fact that there are some people that today, it's really hard for them, and we need to remember those people. And, um, you know, think about the fact that there are many, many families in which maybe a mom doesn't know Christ and needs to know Christ. And um, so I just, I don't know, that's where my heart was this last week, and as I was thinking about Mother's Day and you know, I'm thankful that my mom's with the Lord. I mean, that's a blessing. But think about the number of people that just can't say that, right? And I think that's, that's something that probably for, for all of us, as we consider those people in our sphere of influence who are mothers, you know, just praying about their salvation. And um, so I just wanted to just challenge you with that. And um, I did run into to some funnies, though, that I liked. You might not like them. I have no idea. Humor is not one of my greatest traits. 
but I like these, and, and I laughed, and I'm like, well, but it's kind of because I've got a weird sense of humor. This was my favorite one. Well, one of the two favorites. Why was the grape late for Mother's Day brunch? She got caught in a jam on the way. <laughs> Isn't that good? I just, I know y'all might not like it, but I laugh. But this is my favorite one. Ready? What did the mama tomato say to the baby tomato? Ketchup. That's right. Isn't that good? I don't know. I like those. They're funny to me. All right, I won't read you the other ones. They're even cornier than those two. When you go to the Bible and you think about moms, um, one of the ones that uh, comes to my, mo- my mind is um, found in the book of 2 Timothy. So I'd like you to just turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And um, as Paul's writing to his um, young child in the faith, his son in the faith, he um, points out something very, very important as he makes some opening comments and something that I think would be like a good challenge, not only for moms, but just for fathers as well. It says, verse 5, For I am mindful of the sincere faith which uh, faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am sure that it is in you as well. So if you read that verse and you study it, um, that word sincere there is a really key component to, to that whole idea that Paul communicates to Timothy. And that word actually, it means to be genuine. It means to be not, you know, it's a person who's not hypocritical, but a person who has sincere faith. When I think about my mother... Um, that's what I think about. She was a genuine believer. And uh, she set that example for me and for my sister. And there's just no words of thanks that I could give for um, the godly mother that, that, that I had. Um, and, and I think it's a challenge for those mothers and grandmothers in here that Paul would kind of start out the letter that way. And it, and it gives us something to think about, not just for mothers and grandmothers, but for fathers and grandfathers that, that we set an example for our children and our grandchildren, that, that when they see us, you know, they, they, they see a person who's striving for godliness. You know, if, if the Lord doesn't come back um, in the next hundred years, um, well, all of us are going to die, okay? And so <clears throat> what is going to be said about us, right, at that funeral. And I think one of the greatest testimonies that we could have is that when our children and our grandchildren are in those moments, that they would be able to say, my mother, my grandmother, my father, my grandfather, godly people, they were looking to the Lord in their life. And I, I just think that's something that I think we can be encouraged by and challenged by at the same time. So your mother out there today happy mother's day to you and and i hope you have a wonderful day and i hope your children and your and uh your father i mean excuse me your husband think about the fact that this afternoon you really want to take that two-hour nap okay
and they're going to provide a means for you to be able to do that. All right. Why don't we thank the Lord for another day of life, and let's uh, ask him for his blessings today as, as we worship him. All right. <clears throat> so, Father, we just want to thank you uh, today um, for another day of life, for an opportunity, Lord, to be able to come to this place today and to worship you. That needs to be the center of our our focus, attention today needs to be on you. And, and Lord, I, I know that, you know, um, a lot of focus today is on moms, and, and I'm thankful for the mother that I had uh, here on earth. And, Lord, I'm thankful to know that she's with you because of her faith in you and trust in you as, as Lord and Savior. And I just, I thank you for that. And, Lord, I thank you that she's in your presence. And, um, you know, we do miss our moms when they're not around. And for some people, as I mentioned, Mother's Day is a, a difficult day. It's a hard day for different reasons. And so I pray that, um, Lord, you'd help us to be mindful of praying for those in our lives that uh, are moms that, that may not know you. Um, and, Lord, that, that need to maybe walk with you closer. And uh, for each mother in here, and I, I just pray, Lord, for their life. And, Lord, that you would... Um, just place on their minds the importance of, of living Christ before their children and, and that, Lord, there would be support there by the fathers and by the grandparents and, Lord, that there would just be this mind toward holiness and godliness. And, Lord, we can't accomplish any of that on our own. We, we have to have the help of the Holy Spirit in that. And we're thankful that if we belong to you, the Holy Spirit lives in us. And he's the power that we need to live uh, lives that are holy and separate to you. So we just ask for your help, Lord, for all of us, that we might be godly men and women and boys and girls that, that uh, not only know you, but that want to, um, Lord, want to honor you in what we do. So we just ask that your spirit would guide us this morning. I thank you for each one that's here. And I just pray, Lord, that we would um, worship you today in spirit and in truth. All this I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Good morning, church. Great to see everybody this morning. I have a Mother's Day story, sort of, uh, to tell you this morning. Uh, and it's right along the lines of what Thad was talking about, actually. Uh, I've got a customer that I deal with in Cartersville, Georgia, and he's a believer. I was on the phone with him earlier this week, and he said that his wife's mother, his mother-in-law, uh, was on her deathbed uh, the week before that. She was 89 years old. She was in the hospital, and she didn't know the Lord. And so they were giving her the gospel and talking to her, praying for her. And they asked her why she had not uh, ever accepted Christ. And she said, it's just my stubborn pride. I just, I just didn't want the Lord telling me what to do. I never have. And she's a very well-educated woman. Her and her husband both were Harvard graduates. They had a long career, very successful people. Uh, so they challenged her with the gospel. And they, you know, some time passed. They went to do other things. They continued to pray for her. They went back after uh, a little while, sometime later, uh, and they said, have you thought about what we talked about? And she got emotional, and she teared up, and she said, yes, I've, I've given my life to Jesus. I'm, I'm tired of running. So there's a, a, a mother who's 89 years old, uh, not what you would think is a prime candidate for salvation, right, at that age, but the Lord opened her eyes, and she came to know the Lord. And how sweet is this Mother's Day going to be for my friend's wife, right, whose mother was 89 years old 
and had never given her life to the Lord, but now she knows that she's going to see her again one day in heaven. Guys, we serve an awesome Savior. When he told me that, I said, man, that's awesome. I'm going to share that in church Sunday. And he said, yeah, go ahead, do it. Uh, we serve an awesome Savior. He, he lavishes grace after grace after grace in our lives, and we don't even, we don't even recognize it half the time. He is worthy, more than worthy, of every ounce of praise and worship we could possibly muster to give him. It's who we sing to. It's what we sing about. Let's all stand. Let's worship the Lord this morning. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a fortress of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchased of God, born of His Spirit. In his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Raising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. My Savior, all the day long, perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed, watching and waiting. Looking up, filling his goodness, lost in his love. Sing it out. This is my story. This is my song. Raising my Praising my Savior all the day.
take our failure, you take our weakness, you set your treasure in jars of clay, so take this heart, Lord, I'll be your vessel, the world to Let's go. 
came forth to be born of a virgin, bearing a man mind, example is he, living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified, freely forever. One day he's coming for glorious Suffering anguish, despised and rejected, bearing our sins, my Redeemer is He. Living He loved me, dying He saved me, buried He carried my sins far away, rising He just. With the 
That's a pretty stout statement to be able to make in your life. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. That deserves some thinking about for sure. So hopefully uh, you'll have time to do that this afternoon. This is not one of your typical Mother's Day messages for sure. I wasn't led to a different text. and I thought a few weeks ago maybe, but... <clears throat> you know, we're right in the middle of this series, and I don't know that there's anything more appropriate that we would do than to think about the fact that we are living in the last days. We are. The intensity of these characteristics, as Paul outlines them in chapter 3, are just higher and greater now than in any time in my lifetime. And so as I was reading through these characteristics and studying this section of Scripture, it's been very difficult because it's kind of easy to, to look at it and just say, well, that applies to all those people that are out there, that are in the world. That just describes them. And what in the world does this have to do with me anyway? Then as you begin to think through what Paul was doing with Timothy, you come to recognize that as you come to verse 10, he draws a great contrast between himself, being Paul, and the men that are described in these verses. In fact, he really puts his name out there on the line and says, look, you can imitate me because this is my life. (laughs) We'll talk about that next what it means to be a, a mentor to someone, to be able to say what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So for us as believers, give me Jesus is the theme of our life. At least it should be. But we all understand that there's a spiritual battle that's going on every single day for our lives And for the lives of our children and grandchildren. And as a believer, we have to recognize that there is a spiritual battle going on. And that when we look at these characteristics of men in the last days, it should cause us to think, Wow, Lord, there is a great harvest out there. There's a message that we have for the world to hear that Jesus saves. (laughs) There is no one else that loves them like the Lord. 
Let's pray and ask the Lord for his help. Lord, when we're met with passages like this, it it can be somewhat depressing in one sense, but really to me it's an encouragement to know that we're in the last days and we know the end of the story and we know that, Lord, you're coming back for your church. And until you do, Lord, we have work to do. We need to labor for you and we need to be faithful in that. Lord, um, we need your spirit to guide us this morning, and so we pray that, um, that he would do that and that we would leave today challenged, encouraged, um, thinking more about our lives as individuals and how we look. Are we distinct from the world? We should be. Lord, we know that that's a challenge, and we can only be victorious with the help of your Holy Spirit. So please help us this morning as we discuss in our final time the characteristics of men in the last days. Please help us by your Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at reading together. Let's read verses 1 through 9 and kind of remember kind of where we've been and then we'll talk about where we're going today. Paul says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. And then he begins to talk about not the times, but he begins to talk about men in the times. He says, for men will be lovers of self and lovers of money and boastful and arrogant and revilers and disobedient to parents and ungrateful and unholy and unloving. And that's what we covered last week together which we spent a good amount of time talking about disobedient to parents. And that we said that the ungrateful and the unholy and the unloving, which remember the unloving there, he's talking about family love. That there is a tremendous breakdown in the family today. And there needs to be attention given as Christians to the family as it relates to priorities in the family. You know, what are your children going to see? And you as a parent. What's important in your life? Because what's important in your life will be important in their life, potentially. And so there's a lot to think about there for all of us. We said that um, we live in a culture today where the family is broken, where children today are many of them coming from dysfunctional families and divorced families. It creates chaos. And that chaos is even within the walls of the church. So that's kind of where we left off. And then we begin today with the word irreconcilable. <laughs> we don't use that word all the time. Who uses that word? Right? I mean, when was the last time somebody used irreconcilable in a sentence with you? Irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This is the most dangerous quality of these men. This next one, holding to a form of godliness. In other words, they look the part. They might even sound the part. They have the vocabulary that we have 
but inside they do not have the Spirit of God. Now, if you just want my personal opinion, I think there's a lot of those people out there. You didn't ask for my opinion, but I'm giving it to you. I think there's a lot of people in our world and even within the walls of a church building that could be described that way. Having a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. And remember we said that the whole really kind of focal point in this section is avoid such men as these. And then he tells Timothy why he's to do that. And we've already covered that. But remember what he said to him. Why did Timothy need to really pay attention to this instruction? And remember verse 6, it says, For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Jannes and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith, they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Jannes and Jambres' folly was also, which is the encouragement. If you're looking for the encouragement, verse 9 is the encouragement. But it's very important that as we go through these characteristics, as we finish this section today, that we have this in mind. We need to be distinct from the world. We need to be distinct from the world. We need to be distinct in our behavior as believers. We don't need to look like this. You know, Paul talks about our wardrobe, our spiritual wardrobe in Colossians chapter 3. He tells us what we need to put on. This is what we need to look like. And we know that that's a challenge. But nonetheless, it's the responsibility of every believer to look the part. And you know what, it shouldn't be this working like, oh, it should be just a natural outflow of our love for Christ, of our relationship to him. And that's why when we sang that song, I'm like, that's perfect, right? You can have all this world, give me Christ. Is that good for you? Now, really, is that good for you? So, if you just have a form of godliness, that doesn't work. But, but if you truly are born again and you're in Christ... Then, then you have the theme of Paul to live as Christ to die as him. And it's just so much better. But let's be honest. Man, there is a tremendous tendency in people to be so tied down to this world that they're like, hey, Lord, just wait. Don't come now. I got a lot more I want, I want to do. <laughs> so I think there is a huge challenge as we look at this. To be different from the world. So we'll start with irreconcilable. Isn't that a cool word? This word describes a person whose feuds are unending. <laughs> you know, kind of like the Hatfields and McCoys, so to speak. I like what Chuck Swindoll says about... Ah. Hold on a second. About this. He says, they cannot admit wrong. You know people like that? Sure, you're shaking your head yes, right? You know people that refuse to forgive offenses? They remain at odds with individuals and have no problem with it. But a believer 
should not be like this. In fact, there are verses in the Bible that help us to understand the way we are to behave. We need to acknowledge our wrong, our sin to the Lord, first of all. We know in the Bible, in 1 John, it says what? We're to confess our sins. And that word confess just means to agree with. I agree with God that I've sinned. You ever had that happen in your day where you sin? That's not a trick question. We sin. We have a propensity towards selfishness and self. And there's many things that we may do during a week that is wrong, that is sin against God. Well, an unbeliever is not to get and acknowledge that. But the scripture is clear that we should. And do you know, in this particular illustration in David's life, it was at least up to 12 months before David repented of his sin with Bathsheba. And you want to read about that, what happened there with his repentance and his confession. You go to Psalm 51. But this is another chapter that refers to this time in David's life. And you don't hear a lot about chapter 32 of, of Psalm. But Psalm 32, it says, notice what David says, I acknowledge my sin to you. David got it right. In Psalm 51, he says, against thee and thee only have I what? I've sinned. We sin against God. Now, there are consequences, but our sin is against God. Well, the world doesn't think they, they're all right, you know. They don't, they don't need to acknowledge this. But David did. And it took him a while, right? And probably you're sitting there kind of a little squirming, going, man, that's a problem. Well, David was a man. He wasn't a little god, okay? And so David had, has issue, or had issues in his life, like we do in ours, of confession at times. Of coming to the point where we say, you know what, that's against God. You ever had that in your life? Where you've struggled with, like, this is really sin? Because we tend to kind of go, well, it's a little sin. There's a little wrong there. It's not this great big thing. I mean, look at this person. But we're responsible for our own lives. It's important that we admit to the Lord when we sin, when we're wrong. And it's important as believers to admit to one another when we're wrong. You ever had somebody when you've told them, hey, look, I was wrong about that, look at you like, what's wrong with you? I have. I actually have. I had people look at me like, why are you telling me? You, you can read their minds like, why are you telling me this? The Bible says the truth will set you free. And there's nothing like being able to walk around free. There are a lot of people that struggle with that particular point of admitting wrong. Then remember, Swindoll says they refuse to forgive others. Well, so then do we understand what God wants in relationship to forgiveness? Do we? I mean, right, Peter asked the Lord, how often, Lord? Three, he's maybe thinking in his mind, three times, seven times, you know, this can't be that much. Seventy times seven, Peter. This is a hard one here. 
because of what it says in Ephesians. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. That's within the body of Christ. Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. What does the world need to see on the part of the church? Us forgiving one another. Now they're going to, listen, they're not going to give you the advice that you need. They're going to say, man, you have a right to hold that against them. That's not what that verse says. That verse says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And how has God in Christ forgiven you? His forgiveness is complete. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? You like that. Shake your head, you do like that. It's complete. It's out of love. Out of love for us. Which is really quite amazing. By the way, each one of these has its own sermon. Like, I could talk about that for 35 minutes, and you'd be like, man, he's talking about this one thing for 35 minutes. There is so much there. But it's important you study yourself. Um, The third one, Swindoll points out in relationship to this word irreconcilable, is they remain at odds with individuals. Does that happen within the walls of the church? Answer, yes. Should it? No. Any of you ever had an issue with another believer? I got both my hands up. You can at least raise one. What do we do with that? Paul in Romans says, if possible. So, you know, it's not necessarily always possible, but if possible, so as far as it depends on who? You. It's not them. It doesn't say them. <laughs> it says you. As it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Not just the ones in the body, but outside the body. You're like, okay, Lord, in the body I get outside the body? But I think it's hard enough for us to keep at peace with inside the body. I've had times where I've had things with individuals in the body. You know, for me, I'm just giving my personal testimony. It's a process. That's how it worked out in my life, just process. Where I came to understand that this wasn't about me and about, well, you know what, I just can't do that. This was about the Lord and what he wants for me. Does that make sense? In other words, it's hard to knock on someone's door when you know there's something there. But the Lord may want you to. And here's the mindset at times, I'm waiting until they come to me. True? True? If you're waiting until they come to you, it's not going to happen. Maybe you're the one that needs to go to them. I've had some really close brothers where I've had issues. And, 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 and I remember one particular incident where I had an issue with a brother. I know he had an issue with me, right? It's one of those things, I know he has an issue with me. And I got home and I was just like walking through the door and I, I'm telling Teresa I know he has an issue with me and she's a, she just she doesn't say anything sometimes which drives me crazy because I know what she's thinking well you need to allow the spirit to lead you which he did and so I immediately got my keys and went back to my truck and went to this person's house and knocked on the door sometimes it is true sometimes we might not even know that we have that someone has aught with us That can happen. But if we know it, we have responsibility. So how do you like that word, irreconcilable? That's a good one, isn't it? Then he says, malicious gossips. 
malicious gossips. Oh, I have one more thought here for you about that. Absence from a person's life does not equate to peace. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying about that? In other words, the person left the church or going somewhere else now, whew, good, done. <laughs> what are we talking about? No. It's the body of Christ. They may be absent from our presence, but we need to remember how important it is. You know, that one has a life of its own. Man, you can talk about that for 50 minutes. All right, the next one is malicious gossips. That doesn't sound too good, does it? Men in the last days will be malicious gossip, gossips. This describes a person who utters false statements in order to harm others. That happens. Context, it can happen at work, right? Yeah, it can happen at work. It can happen at school. Shouldn't happen in the church, should it? This term is interesting because it's used over 30 times in the New Testament to refer to Satan. To refer to the one as uh, it says in Revelation chapter 12 verses 9 and 10. To the one who is the accuser of the brethren. He accuses. He makes false statements. You can study that one more on your own this afternoon. I'm not landing on every single one of these but. Malicious gossip, certainly there's gossiping that goes on. True or false? True. How often? Yeah, who said that? That's a good answer, Bo. For those of you out there watching, that was Bo. Too often. I think we're all guilty of gossiping. You probably think, well, don't put me in that. Well, that's the reality of it. It happens. But that modifier there, malicious, is really strong. Because the emphasis of the word is uttering false statements in order to harm the individual. The world does that. The church should not do that. And then he says, without self-control. Without self-control. Man, this is a tough one here. This word describes a person who's unable to resist their fleshly passions. This mainly has to do with sexual sin. That's the meaning of the term here. It mainly has to do with sexual sin. Are there sexual sins that go on in the world today? Somebody said, huh? Yes, there are. Every time I think about this one, and I know I've illustrated, used this illustration, but I'm counting on the fact that you probably forget at times. You know, I was in a, on a board in New York State where they were debating whether or not to talk to young people about a safe sex. And they invited community leaders, and pastors said, you're going. It's <laughs> like, okay. So I went, long story short... They were telling these kids the best thing to do was to protect themselves. Well, you know, every once in a while you have to chime in. And man, my, the spirit was just like, hey, Thad, you know that's not right. And I said, I just want to say one thing. And it's in the form of a question. Is that the best thing we can tell these students? 
Is it the best thing we can tell our young people? Answer, no. We don't have to talk about the specifics of sexual sin. We see it in our culture today. Um, I like what Wayne Barber says about this. He says, these men are slaves to their own passions and lust. Paul is saying that in the last days, anything goes. <laughs> We're there. Okay? We're there. There are no moral absolutes or mandates. And we could talk all day about how that looks in the world and all the temptations. And I, I think it's good to be reminded that the world is like that, although I don't know that we're surprised by that at all. But I think it's really, really important that we have the mind of the Lord as it relates to sexual sin. Does he care about that issue? Well, the answer is yes. And I, I really like 1 Corinthians um, Chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. Look what it says. Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, says flee immorality. That word flee means run away from. And in the Bible, we know we have an example in the person of Joseph. He ran away every day from Potiphar's wife. Every day. Okay? She was after him every day. Every day he ran away. Listen to me, young people. The world is after you every day as it relates to sexual immorality. Every day. So every day you have to run away from it. You say, just us? No, your parents too. My parents, your parents. We can't limit the sin to young people. I think that can happen. Immorality happens, sexual immorality happens with adults. So... It's important that we understand what God says. He says, every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Are you, do, do you not know? All right? So he has a transition here. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? In other words, we're representatives of who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Pretty heavy. He says, who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. And here's the mantra of the world is, I can do with my body what I want to do. True? Yes. For the church? No. No. No, 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 no. In fact, what's interesting is you, if you keep reading that section of Scripture... In chapter 7, as he comes to marriage, he talks about the fact that the husband must fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. And you know what? That, in the context of the passage, you know what he says? He says, when husbands and wives are together, they're to enjoy the sexual intimacy that he created. That he created. And if that's not going on, Pray. And then after prayer, go back to being together physically. That's the picture. Nobody ever teaches it, but it's the picture. Why? Because, hey, you want to abstain from sexual immorality, fulfill the needs and desires that happen within the framework of marriage. That's not talked about enough. It's very, very critical that we have an understanding of that biblically. 
And then he closes this section in verse 20. He says, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. So the Lord owns us. And he, that means he owns our bodies. So men out in the world are described as those without self-control. But not the church. That's not how the church needs to be described in any way. And then he says, brutal. So he goes from without self-control to brutal. And the word used to describe brutal was used to describe wild animals. It's the very opposite of what the Lord calls his slave to exercise when in the midst of opposition. And you remember what Paul told Timothy in dealing with opposition back in chapter 2. Remember what he said? The Lord's slave or bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with what? Gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition with gentleness. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And so, just as a reminder, we're to be opposite from the world as it relates to that. As it relates to opposition, we're to be graceful. We're to present to them the word of God. Um, and then he says, haters of good. Um, this is the very opposite of what Paul says in describing an overseer in Titus chapter 1, verse 8. Paul said that he must be loving what is good. All right, so here's the question. What is good? If you're loving what is good, what in the world does that mean? Well, you're loving truth, right? You love truth. You love righteousness. You love the things that God loves. How about that? That's the big category. You love the things that God loves. If you want to know what that looks like this afternoon as you're, after you cook dinner for your mom, read John 17 in the, in the high priestly prayer of Christ. And he talks about, in that section, what he prays for for his church. And part of that is unity. So there's a lot of things that God wants for his church. Um, these men are described as those that are hostile to the things that are good. Wow, look at the world today and read the news, right? Just look at it. Haters of good. I mean, this is what happens to us when we see men in the world that are hostile to the things that are good. We cross our arms and go, I can't believe they think like that, don't we? We do. We go, how in the world do they think like that? Because they don't have the power in them. They don't have the Spirit of God in their lives. And so he says they're brutal. They're haters of good. They're treacherous. The term here refers to betraying someone for personal gain. Now, obviously, when we think about that, we think about immediately, we might think about Judas. So he says treacherous, reckless. This is what I wanted to spend a little bit of time on. The word reckless. Um, the word literally means to fall forward without the ability to stop. That happens to you when you get older, <laughs> by the way. You might be just taking a step and you might fall forward without the ability to stop, okay? You just kind of want to get a picture of what that's like. Um, just follow somebody who's over 50 for a while and you'll see that. That's what the word literally means. It means to fall forward without the ability to stop. But figuratively, it describes one who is headstrong and acts unthinkingly without consideration. This is the key phrase. 
without consideration of others. Is the world like that? Answer, yes. The world does not have on its mind all the time consideration of others. But the church should be different, should it not? You say, yeah, does the Bible talk about that? It absolutely does. Look what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. And in that chapter, you see there a description of Christ and how he humbled himself, took on the form, right, of man. Look what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. He's writing to his church. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Man, that's a tough one. Yes? Yes. Can there be for us a drastic difference from the world in this particular area? Yes. Because the world, listen, the world cares about self. It's not considering others. But in the body of Christ, Paul wrote to this church and he says, with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. So that means we're interested in others. We're interested in what goes on in the lives of others. That's what he says. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest. We need to look out for our interest. But the priority is the Lord and others and then ourselves. And then he says, but also for the interest of others. I believe primarily he has in mind the spiritual interest of others. Let me give you a hard example. If we're considering others as more important than ourselves, then it means this, that we're considering them as it relates to their life spiritually and in every other way. One of the ways that we can um, encourage others and think of others first is when we don't see them here in the body. Say, I thought that's uncomfortable. I understand that. Like if you walk up to someone and say, hey, I'm really interested in you, I love you, you know, you've been on my mind, that's good. But I haven't seen you in a while. You ever done that? That's tough. But if we're truly interested, right, in what's going on in a believer's life spiritually, we recognize when people aren't around. We recognize when they're struggling. What do we do? Do we leave them in a ditch to struggle or do we go to them? If we're really interested in them, if we really love them, I think we've kind of defined it like, if I'm really interested in somebody, I'll take them to lunch. Well, that might be part of it. But i got to dig, right? i got to dive deeper than that. That's why the Lord has given us the body of Christ, right? That we can encourage one another and come alongside one another. But part of that consideration of others first is where they are spiritually. How might I encourage them, right? How might I walk beside them? So he talks about the fact that in this passage, it's important for us to regard one another as more important than ourselves. I found that to be a lifelong thing. Lord has to remind me about that all the time. Um, Then he says conceited. 
Well, this is a tough one too. This word describes a person who has a lofty view of himself. I like what Homer Kent wrote about this. He says, puffed up persons become so inflated with a sense of their own knowledge and importance, they are unable to recognize the truth. You know people like that in the world? I do. You know people like that in the church at times? Yeah. That's a hard one, guys. I'm not, look, this is probably one of those sermons I should have warned you about. Stay home if you, you know, don't like hard stuff. This is tough. Because I think the tendency is to kind of like, oh yeah, it's them. But like I said earlier, I think we have to look at this with the understanding that as the church, as believers, we should be completely different from the world. So he says they're conceited. They're reckless, they're conceited. And then he says... Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You know, when I was studying this, I was like, that little phrase, rather than, really bothers me. Lovers of pleasure rather than. Are you a lover of God? How would, how would we even evaluate that? Because if somebody came up to you and said, as a Christian, and said, do you love God? Well, yeah, I do. What's that look like? Like, I think the only illustration maybe we could use that would be helpful would be, do you love your husband, or do you love your wife, or do you love your kids? What do we do? I mean, it's just, is it just a verbal thing? You know? I mean, some people are like, their love language, like, they like to hear that stuff. I love you, right? I don't have to have that. I'm not one of those kind of guys, right? Some people are. And listen, husbands, if your wife's like that, you better go home saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. But the reality is that love is what? Agape love is demonstrated. It's action. So I'm thinking through this, and I'm like, man, Lord, this is hard stuff. Because we understand the world is not going to be a lover of God in terms of loving God. They might say they do. We might hear a mixed message. But remember, these men, they're powerless. They're devoid of the Spirit. But as a believer in Christ, the Bible tells me that I am to love the Lord my God... With all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. All of me. And I'm to love my neighbor as myself. But it begins with loving God. So, I don't know, I, I was thinking about this week, and I, I maybe would give you an assignment to think through, how does that look in your life, loving God? Since I had to do the assignment, you have to do it too, right? So, how does that love for God look out, look in my life? Well, if I have a love for God, if that that my love relationship with the Lord is right, then I want to spend time with Him. I can't wait to. You ever had that time in your life as a believer where your, your quiet times were going so good you couldn't wait to wake up just to get in the book? If I'm a lover of God, I want to know the things of God. Does that make sense? If I'm a lover of God, I'm communicating with God. If I'm a lover of God, I want to be with His people. I was just asked this last week to come speak at a camp in Louisiana this summer, a camp I grew up in. 
Camp Pearl. I can't wait to go. I get to speak to high school students, right? It's going to be so much fun. But do you know what they want me to, to address? I, I couldn't believe it when they told me. And he said, that I want you to uh, talk about the importance of being together. I'm like, hey, this is not just a crisis in Alabama. It's a crisis in Louisiana. It's a crisis all over the United States. Because quite frankly, if we're just honest, some people have become comfortable with being at home. Can, can we say I just said that out loud, didn't I? They've become comfortable, and, t- and, and now the church is, there he is, I can listen. Is that the way God designed his church to be? No. He didn't design his church to be in isolation. He, desi- he designed the church so that we would be together. We need that encouragement. And what we get to do, part of that whole, whole loving God thing, is we get to worship God together. And by the way, one day we'll be doing it for an eternity in his presence. <laughs> and you, know, you often hear people talk about boredom in heaven. Boredom? It never looked like to me in the life of Christ the disciples were ever bored. That didn't mean they didn't, they didn't go to sleep. They did at the wrong times, right? But the reality is the Lord Jesus is awesome. Wouldn't you have loved to have walked around with Christ on earth? Imagine being in the boat when the storm's raging and the boat's literally like the waves there in the Sea of Galilee can get 8 to 12 feet. And, you know, he's, he's back in the boat and he's snoozing. Can you imagine being one of those guys? And when the Lord said, hush, be still. And you went from this to, whoa, man. I would have been one of those guys that, hey, do that again. Right? I mean, awesome. Just like B said earlier, we serve an awesome God. Well, the world is described here as lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. We get the term hedonism from this word. As Wayne Barber describes it, it's the doctrine that pleasure or happiness is the chief end in life. I mean, who can argue with that, right? That's, that's the world we live in today. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I have a confession to make before you. It's all right to do that. I think in my Christian life, one of the things the Lord has shown me is that early on in my Christian life and walk, as probably in my 20s and even in my 30s, like I was so busy doing ministry that that was kind of my focal point. Does that make sense? So I'm just like going day to day to day, hey, what do I need to do? do, do, do. It doesn't mean I didn't have quiet times, I didn't have times with the Lord, but but one of the things that the Lord has shown me in my Christian life is that all those ministry things are good. You know, but just sitting in the presence of the Lord and just reading his word and saying, Lord, I just, I just, I just need to talk to you. Um, I don't know how that sounds to you, but I think that, that sometimes we can get so busy with the things going on that, that we maybe stumble a little bit in that just personal peace with the Lord. And you know what he's looking for with us? 
Authenticity. Being honest. Be honest. Sometimes we're not too happy, right? Sometimes we're struggling. Hey, Lord, I'm struggling. He already knew that. But you tell him anyway. Just being honest. I put some things down here about hedonism that, I don't know, I just thought were some things to think about. Self-pleasure says the center of life is self. The world like that? Yeah. The church? Shouldn't be. The center of life for a believer is who? Christ. Paul, to me to live is Christ. It's Christ. Self-pleasure says the center of life is self. Self-pleasure says meeting my own needs is essential to happiness. Right? We live in a me generation. It's all about me. It's all about the things that I want. When I was a kid, I'll give you an example. When I was a kid and, and we had Christmas, um, like, I got one big gift. Like, just one. It might be a football. A football. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and now you, you, you advance to an age, and I don't remember even, I might have asked for a football, but I didn't beg for a football. I got a football, though. But as you get, as I've gotten older, I look at I look at what goes on at Christmas time now, and it's like there's this long list of things that kids say, "Hey, I want this." There's nothing wrong with giving gifts. Don't walk out of here and think that's against giving gifts. No, I'm not. But I do think there's a tendency to overemphasize some things that we might need to think about, because in the world, it's all about self. It's all about meeting my own needs, and I would say once. Third thing about hedonism is that making decisions is based solely on what I want. This is what I want, this is what I want, this is what I want. And what I've seen is a culture of young people who are more bold than that. This is what I want. I don't know how you see that. That's how I see it. Well, what's the important thing for the believer? It's not what do I want, what does God want? I'm going to give you an example here, and I don't know how it's going to hit you, but you hear sometimes discussions like this. This is what I want for my kids when they grow up. I'm just talking, okay? And I really want them to do this, and I really want them to do that. And so maybe that's language that needs to be adjusted. Maybe the language is, this is not what I want for them, but I want what the Lord wants for them. Is that okay? <laughs> that's, that's a tough one. Because if you really want what the Lord wants for them, they might be gone from your presence in a foreign country doing missions. Right? Right. Man, I'll never forget when I told my family I was going to New York State. My grandpa, all he'd get in his mind was New York City. I could never explain to him I was not going to the city. He, he just kept saying, Thad, why are you going to New York City? I said, Grandpa, I'm not going to New York City. Thad, why are you going to New York? I'm not going to New York City. I think he thought of the whole state as just a big city. I think the mind has to be that we want what God wants for our children. We want them to walk in his ways, Right? And we want, him, we want them to do his will. 
And that, that, that even applies to what God may have them do in their lives. You hear statements like, well, that's for their family. <laughs> Hold on a second. Right? It, it's whatever God wants. All right. Last one. Notice what he says. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Um, the word used in this context to describe is used, excuse me, in this context to describe one who outwardly looks the part. They look the part. They look religious. They look like they belong to God. They might even sound like they belong to God. But they're devoid of the power. They've denied its power. I like what uh, William Hendrickson says. I think I have that quote. Well, let me give you... Yeah, I'll go back, go back to that. William Hendrickson says, these people lack spiritual dynamite. That's the word power there. Okay? He says, they have no love for the Lord, and because they are without the Spirit, they are without power. Have you ever thought about this? The Spirit of God, if you're a believer, lives in you. He's the power you need to live the Christian life to the glory of the Lord. Hard to know sometimes, right, with people. Um, I think a good illustration is the Pharisees to some extent. Remember what Jesus said to them? He said, woe to you in the the woe section in, in, in Matthew. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self indulgence. He says, you blind Pharisees, well, you talk about being offended by words, (laughs) you blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may also become clean. I mean, if, if you really want what's here, Jesus is saying, this is you. I wonder what the Lord would say today. About church. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. He says, So you too outwardly appear righteous to people, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. These are the people that Paul's describing that, that are hanging out in Ephesus within the body. They're not part of the body, but they look like it, and they might even sound like it. I don't know who wrote this. It's in your notes. But in talking about the Holy Spirit and the importance of the Spirit in our lives, he says the power of godliness is displayed through the Holy Spirit in the lives of Christians. And then he says, and using, I believe, the 1 Corinthians passage where Paul uh, talks about the natural man in chapter 2. He says, the natural man may have a form of godliness, but doesn't accept the things of the Spirit according to the Word of God. I want to end with just a couple things. We see those kind of people out in our world who have that form of godliness, but they don't have the Spirit of God in them, the power. The advantage that we have, guys, 
is we look at this list and we go, wow, well, you know, one of these things, we need to be different from the world. We can be different from the world because we have the Spirit of God in our lives. We can be. I want to give you three things uh, of encouragement before we leave today. Just three things to kind of think about as we've kind of digested this section. Um, first of all, man isn't getting better. Okay, he's not getting better. I, I don't know how you see that, but man's not getting better. Just because technology advances and medicine advances, that does not mean man is getting better. He describes the way man is in this section. Second thing I look at is the harvest is plentiful. Man, there are lots of people out there that don't have hope. Lots of people out there that fit these, you know, words that we, we talked about. That's exactly who they are. Um, and then, as we sang earlier, he's coming. You believe that? He's coming to get us out of this wretched world. I'll close with this. When I studied this section uh, last several weeks, I'm just like, man, you know, presenting some of this stuff to you guys is really difficult. Because you're sitting out there, right? You're sitting. And I'm standing up here going, well, this is what it says. Well, think about how it was for Paul. I guess I got a better appreciation for what he did here. No shortcuts. You know, he didn't paint a false picture for Timothy and say, hey, things are going to get better. <laughs> he didn't do that. They are going to get better in the sense that the believer one day is going to be with the Lord. But the world around us, listen to me, the world around us is wretched. And they need the hope that you and I have in us, and that is the spirit of the living God. They need that. And so what do we do? Well, this is the conclusion in that. We live like the Lord wants us to live. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Walking every day to his glory. It's amazing to me that we can walk in victory. But we can. According to the Bible, we can. But it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. All right, let's pray. Lord, um, it just always seems like there's just not enough time. Um, my heart's so full today about the way I need to behave as a believer so that I look different from the world. Um, you know, as Paul was writing this, he's in a, in a dungeon, and he's cold. And um, all the elements that there that he was having to endure. And I mean, I mean, if we just look at it on the surface, we can think, well, here's a guy who, you know, he could pout. He could um, just, you know, be disobedient and and have the mind that hey it's all about me um, but he doesn't he has a mind and it's all about you and that's just so encouraging to me because all of us face difficulties and hardships but Lord if we just look at this on the surface and we go wow this guy's you know got everything to complain about but but he's just so thrilled to be in you and um to be able to pass on this information to Timothy because he wanted Timothy to live victorious. Got to pray that that's our mind, that we have a desire to live victorious Christian lives and that, you know, as, as, as B shared earlier about this person that came to you at 89, 
I mean, the greatest need in this person's life was you. And Lord, help us never to, um, to never just have that callous mentality of, you know, well, the world's like this, and, and, and not really want to engage people with the gospel, but help us to know, Lord, that there's power in the gospel, and that you just want us to share the change that um, you've made in our lives. So I just pray you'd help us today, Lord. Um, it's Mother's Day. Uh, we're thankful for that opportunity to, Lord, just recognize our moms and, and Lord, the blessings and and for the people who have burdens when it comes to that, I pray for them today in a special way. And I just pray that um, as believers, we would have the mentality to be different from the world and that we would know that we can be victorious because of the spirit of the living God who is in us. All this I pray in the wonderful name of Christ. Amen. That's from Mother's Day. Um thought this would be a closing way to close the service. This is our prayer for all of the families uh, that are represented here today.
His favor be upon you and a thousand generations in your family, your children, their children, their children. May His favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children, their children, their children. May His presence go before you and behind you and beside you, all around you and within you. He is with you. He is with you in the morning, in the evening, in your coming, in your going, in your weeping and rejoicing. He is for you. He is for you. He is for you, 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 he is for you. song it's your children their children their children I'm thinking you know that's the prayer that that we need you know just all of us to adopt is prayer for our children and then their children and their children that that they would come to Christ they'd be sold out for him so let's pray and ask the Lord to help help us yeah man Okay, thank you, Dean. The Hispanic ones, do you have the? All right. Well, let's pray. Lord, we just um, sing that song, Lord, just it reminded me of my children and um, their children. And um, Lord, we know that um, your desire, that's what the Bible says, is that all men come to the knowledge of the tr- truth. And, Yet, Lord, we know there are many unbelievers, so we're just praying for our family that they would come to the knowledge of the truth, that they would come to know Jesus Christ. Please help us today to live to your glory, and as Dean gave us again the challenge, I pray that we would, Lord, just hand some tracts to people this week, that you, as you have these appointments for us, that we'd be faithful just to, to hand out one, Lord, and maybe introduce to these folks we come in contact with for the very first time, introduce them to who you are. 
So we just commit our day to you. May we honor you this week in the name of Christ. Amen. You're dismissed.